Welcome to Stop Hack and Roll, a podcast about hacking flawed, weak, organic games to include the synthetic. They will obtain perfection. Resistance is futile. We are the Borg. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we'll be talking about technology and pen and paper games. I guess I kind of have a couple of things that have sort of come up with gaming lately. Uh, one of them is I played Fiasco for the first time. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. and Did I mean, you play like, in person or online? I played it in person. It was a couple's game night. Cool. And uh, we occasionally will rock out a role-playing game. I've had the, them playing uh, Urban Shadows. We played a couple of rounds of Dr. Magnet Hands. I've for ages wanted to play Fiasco and finally managed to get it on the table. That's cool. I, I have to say, like, I know there's a ton of hype around it. Everyone knows that it's kind of the story game that everybody is kind of aware of, but it it really worked nicely. I That's was cool. pretty thrilled with it. We did the uh, the high school setting, and it worked really nicely with the tilt. It turns out I had one of the rules wrong. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got to the end of the game, and we did the aftermath. And there is a very nice, softer aftermath table that comes along with that book uh, that I was not at all aware of. Okay. So and you played harder than you had to. So our team of four high schoolers ended up with two of them in jail and one of them <laughs> dead. <laughs> when, like, realistically, that wasn't what I was going for and really not what it was going for. And when I, we checked the softer aftermath table with some help from uh, Taylor at Riverside Games, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, and it works way better and made a lot more sense and would have had people sad about their loss of popularity instead of in federal penitentiary. I don't know, that seems normal. That's how some of the people from my high school ended up, so... Well, the problem was you, you have... Like, some of us were up to stuff that could have gotten, you know, into legitimate trouble, but we had one person that literally had committed no crimes and so every piece of her aftermath was setting up that she had crimes with which to go to prison for because it was it just was a little bit funky and it was a little bit funky because we had the rules wrong yeah well i mean that's a tradition first time you play a game you have to play with the rules wrong and bonus points if you play way harder oh yeah well you know my policy is always to play way harder whenever possible we the first time we played Dead Panic, which is the like Castle Panic board game, uh, but with zombies, we played it way harder than we had to. Um, you're supposed to all go, and then you roll and add new zombies and have them all move at the end of the the round. But we thought that every player's turn was a round. And so, like, I went, and then we added more zombies and moved them closer to the cabin, and then the next person went, and then we added more zombies and moved them to the... And so there were just, like, five times as many zombies as the game actually wanted us to have, and we we totally lost. But... Mm Mm-hmm. Which is what happened when I... We did that with Pandemic, yeah. And went, oh, wait, sorry, we didn't use half the rules. Yeah. Uh, So you run more games than I do, generally, because you DM a lot more than I do. 
Um, yeah. When you are running games, do you let people at your table have their phone out, use laptops, tablets, that kind of thing? I have actually a couple of different situations that go on with this mm -hmm. because I do a good amount of jamming for adults that are friends of mine. And I also do some jamming for kids that I'm uh, working with. And with the kids, I definitely do not let them have their phones out just because they can't be trusted. They can't be trusted. Exactly. Like you don't want a bunch of preteens on their phones, just completely unsupervised. Yeah. And it really does, I think, damage the game for the rest of the players. Uh, that's especially true when you have a group of eight or ten kids and, you know, one kid being on his phone can just drag everything down. And they yeah. want to know, oh, wait, what happened while I was playing Pokemon on my DS instead of listening to what everyone else was doing? The amount of times that I've taken Pokemon away from kids oh, God. and said, look, man, I love Pokemon <laughs> just as much as the next guy. But while we're here, we're here to play D and D. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because the the kids do super get into it and really seem to enjoy it. But sometimes just having that little little device in pocket can be so so tempting. Yeah. With adults, I tend to not try to police that. Um, if I saw that somebody was playing, like getting real involved in some kind of piece of technology then I might just sort of, at a drink break or something like that, be like, hey, do you want to play? <laughs> uh, I see you're playing World of Warcraft. You could play that. That'd be fine. Because I don't want anyone to be at the table that doesn't want to be at the table, needless to say. But I also don't think it's my place to police somebody. Yeah. If they want to have notes pulled up, or if they mm -hmm. want to have rules pulled up on their phone, or if they have family members or friends texting them that for some reason aren't sitting at the table. I don't want to prevent yeah. them from doing that. What's your feel on it? I know when we play in person, yeah. we take a lot of breaks too. And we so take that, a lot of breaks. That helps facilitate people who need to text their loved ones and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't run many games, but from when, when we play and when I play, my preference is, is a little bit weird in that I don't care about my primary concern when, with technology is its flatness, okay. which is going to sound really weird. I don't care about tablets and phones and things that can lay flat against the table. Okay. But things like laptops have that screen that is a barrier between you and the rest of the table. Okay, I can and, see that. And th like, that bothers me. I, I realize it's not really that big of a difference. Well, um, in the same way that if someone had a book held up in front of their face, you wouldn't be super yeah. pleased with that, but if they had a book down on the table... Again, I don't really run that many games, but that's just my personal preference, and it's a thing that I've started doing as a, as a player. And so, when I come to a table, I bring flat things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, I don't know. So that way I can keep my focus up and past the computer easier, uh, and only look down to glance if I need to refresh something. Well, I actually, for ages, would bring my little netbook but these days i'm not using it while running games anymore i kind of i needless to say when we were kids i was printing everything out because nobody had laptops but because we're uh, that old because we're <laughs> we've been playing old long enough that uh ugh, I, I do not want to have a segment of the show where i'm talking about being old because i know that i'm not yeah but we've been playing long enough that there was a time that 
no one had cell phones and no one had computers that could be on the table, especially not high school kids. Yeah. Uh, but once I got kind of used to it and I could run my big adventures, my big like dungeons and stuff like that off the computer, that was super convenient to not have to print out. Because you can end up with something like 25, 30 pages for a dungeon. Yeah. For me as a player, having that PDF of the game book and being able to control F, search for the rule that I'm looking for, yeah. has been really helpful because I'm not too great at remembering rules. And when you're playing something like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, there are thousands of rules. And remembering the exact stat on your sword or the potion you have that you got five games ago that you've never used because you have one, and remembering all the details of the rules for that is difficult. And so being able to have a PDF where not only do I search, but also I bookmark my PDFs like crazy. And so I'm flipping around looking at rules usually. Well, for that matter, even a less crunchy game like Dogs in the Vineyard can have some rules that are a little bit fiddly. Uh, I know that the experience point rules has a list in each experience category that I could play it a dozen times and I would never remember that list. Just yeah. it wouldn't ever well, latch I on. Think, I think for me that's maybe a little bit of the caveat to my physical barrier rule, which is if you're if you are the GM, then I'm okay with people having uh the screen there because that's kind of like the GM screen. And even I, when I occasionally have GM'd, I set up I have my, my Chromebook and I'll roll on the keyboard or on the table behind it. I really have started to like getting away from that. Um, yeah. I was actually just uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was playing a, a solo game of Urban Shadows, and I sat essentially next to the player, because that way I could see his sheet, he could see the basic moves, and we could just really not have very much printed. Yeah. And that was great. I don't feel like I need to hide anything in secrecy. I don't ever cheat on dice rolls. Or fudge dice rules or anything like that, which yeah. is a matter of personal preference. Yeah, but not to harp on my technology or to get into stop hacking technology, but I love that Chromebook because it flips all the way around. So I can have it either sitting like a laptop or I can have it sit flat like a tablet. If I want to have a barrier for a scene, then I can do that. Like if I have a dungeon scene or something like that or stats for bad guys that I don't want people to see, I can have it set up like a barrier. But if I'm just looking at general rules because we're in role play, then I can flip it around and lay it flat on the table. Yeah, that's fair. That I think is maybe even more important to me than what people think of with the GM screen. Yeah. Uh, like I think people think of it as like, this way I can hide my dice. But if if I have... If I have it written down somewhere that some vampire is dating some werewolf and they're making plans to do this thing, and I just have that right out in front of me... That would spoil the mystery. Yes, yes. That would spoil the mystery. But on the other hand, I write so few notes ahead of time these days. <laughs> yeah. Because I just don't have time. So I think that brings us around towards the main topic that I wanted to talk about today, which is technology and games, and how... As phones and laptops and tablets have become more prevalent, they've crept onto the table. And uh, I guess initially, is that a thing that we want? Is that a thing that we want to try to push back on? And if it's inevitable, if we've got it, if we've, people are going to have phones and laptops and stuff, how can we incorporate that into the games to be useful? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that a lot of people see it as a 
very black and white issue of phones are intrinsically distracting and bad and don't see any potential value in it. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, I can tell you a couple of the games that I ran in college, I didn't have a laptop that I brought then. I was pushing the whole, it's pen and paper games, let's just bring dice and paper. And I'm so bad at remembering rules that we would constantly be stopping just for me to look up rules for how things worked. And it dragged the game down. And now I would be able to have the tablet there, I'd be able to have bookmarks on the PDFs, and I'd be able to find those rules that I can't remember much quicker. So just as a resource, as a GM, that would help me a lot. And even as a player, I said, I did the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sometimes there's also just the choice to be made of how strictly you're going to go with the rules. I think there are some games that really benefit by knowing the rules. If I had known about the softer aftermath for Fiasco High, it would have gone better. It would have made a better game. But if I don't know whether a fireball does 5d6 or 6d6 damage, and I say, it's 5, just roll. Yeah. I mean, I think that doesn't damage it as much. Even for something like uh, Lasers (laughs) and Feelings, when we played that, just being able to have the tablet up and have all the rules on one page in front of me that's um, true. Was really nice. And it's something that I could do with a piece of paper, but I could be able to switch between my, my notes doc and and the rules. And so, have you ever played a game where you had just one person who was designated to be the rules person to, to have a laptop and no one else would, and that person would uh, do all the referencing and then you would just ask that person? I mean, yes, insofar as games that the GM was essentially believed to have all the rules. Obviously, the gaming that I do with kids, they don't know any of the rules, even if I give them all the resources for them to know them. But I think a lot of times people do assume that the GM is going to come in with encyclopedic knowledge. As far as that's concerned, definitely. But in terms of having like a player at the table that was the rules keeper or something like that, no, I've never done that. No, okay. That was the thing that when I was talking to some people about stuff, uh, about this topic, they said that they had done. I thought that was an interesting way to limit the amount of technology you had while also still having the benefit of the quick reference. Especially but, if you have somebody who won't be distracted. Yeah. If you've got someone who's super invested and is there just to play and just has their finger on the Command F button ready to go. Yeah. There are two sort of core arguments that I hear from people when I talk to them about technology at the table. And that is, A, the argument of tradition that pen and paper games are flipping through books and rolling dice. They are pen and paper. Yeah. and With subtext and dice (laughs) games. Yes. And, And that if you... If you have a if you have a phone that has a dice roller, that's great. It's probably more accurate. It's probably closer to random than your dice are, but it's it misses the point. It misses the feeling. It misses the spirit of the game, and that we should try to like hold on to that, the the paper and the pencils and the dice and the character sheets and sort of and that stuff, and not give in to all the technology. What do you think of that? I've been on that side of the argument in the past. I generally like it. I've I've done a kind of an arc. I started, I mean, obviously I started 
that way. What uh, kind of vapor, really? uh, Because I didn't have a you laptop. You didn't have your iPad out? No, not when I was in middle school. I was fine with character sheets, because I like, more than anything else, I like customizing and hacking things. <laughs> and so the first thing I do whenever I find a game is I go and I find a custom character sheet that someone has made. And so being able to have these custom PDFs that display things nicely and that are editable so that they can do all the math for me, that's a thing I liked. So I jumped on having a laptop with a character sheet pretty quickly. I resisted digital dice uh, or using dice rollers because I like that feel. I like the sound of the dice. I like dice falling off the table and running to chase it and stuff like that. Um... (laughs) For a while, out of necessity, when we were playing that Star Wars game we played, where we played, like, in my basement. We were all in very comfortable seats. Yeah. And so they were they were good, because, I mean, it was more relaxing. We weren't doing as much rolling in those games anyway. And so dragging the dice out was, was a little bit more... It felt like stopping and trying to find a table would be a thing that would, that would slow the game down. Yeah. And so for those, I, I moved to it. Now that, like, I have a house that has a table, and we play there more frequently... I like the dice. I've gone back to my dice. I've really straddled the line of that argument of tradition, because I like it, I generally agree. So as we were playing games like 7C and the Star Wars game we played, they were denser rule books, and because I needed to look up the rules and I needed to make sure we were doing things right, I gave into technology and I had that PDF there so I could flip through it quicker. But now we've moved into games that are a little bit lighter, a little bit more story-focused, and as we're playing more character-focused games, I've I've moved back to just having a, a paper character sheet so that I can not focus on that, not be distracted, and look at other people on the table. I personally tend to prefer using dice just because I like the feel of the dice, and I introduce the game to a lot of new players, and I think that especially at first, having those dice feels really, really cool. It is. And it's also the iconic thing about pen and paper games that everyone knows. You sit around our table and roll dice. Especially if you've got your funky D20s and D10s and all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so if I'm sitting down to get a new group of players to play Dungeon World, then I am absolutely going to bring out those dice because they're pretty little things to look at. Yeah. But I think that a lot of times there are some other uses for dice rollers that really can increase... A lot of availability and accessibility. Yeah. Because I am the kind of person that is on a role-playing game podcast, I now carry dice with me almost everywhere I go. Because I've decided that I don't want to describe my hobby as, you know, D&D. It's kind of like that. And so instead, I now just bring out my 2D6 and I run a little, uh, <laughs> a little demo, lightest version possible of Powered by the Apocalypse. There was a post on one of the RPG subreddits of the day about a person who has one of those little canisters that people carry medicine in, in case of emergencies. But they were wearing this lanyard necklace thing with a tiny set of every dice. Oh, that's amazing. So in case of an emergency, they could play a pen and paper game. That is so much more hardcore than me. I've got like a couple of D6s in my my, uh, briefcase. But, uh... (laughs) Yeah, some dice in your briefcase. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, honestly... I also have a dice roller on my phone, because if I don't have my briefcase with me and someone asks, hey, what's a role-playing game? I can flip it open and say, do you like Harry Potter? And be running a wizard adventure within that minute. Yeah, I use the the dice roller in terms of talking about accessibility. I don't have a disability, but I'm awful at math. And so when we were playing 7C in particular, which was lots of dice, exploding dice, adding numbers... 
doing that math quickly in my head slowed the game down and made me look silly because I couldn't do basic math. Um, and so having the dice roller in that case let me make the roll and move on. I think dice rollers can also be helpful for people with physical disabilities. Um, there was a girl that I went to college with who loved playing D&D and really struggled with the fine motor skills of lifting up the dice and rolling them. So she had her phone she'd put right there on a little table that she had available to her and tap the button and she was good to go. Yeah, I wonder if you could also get, um, I haven't seen any dice rollers that do this, but I bet you could find one that would read off the results to you in case you couldn't see. That's amazing. Even just having a dice roller that displays the numbers much bigger would help people who are hard of seeing, but not totally uh, without sight. That that would be a fantastic thing to have. I I think that that's something that we need to have if we don't. Maybe we can see if we can find an app like that. Yeah, that'd be and cool. if we do, we'll stick it in the show notes. Yeah. Another thing is I think you can play in different spaces than you normally would play. I think it was on System Mastery. Uh, they were talking about using a stopwatch and using the milliseconds as a dice roller. <laughs> that's and that's amazing. And so that's kind of throwing back to before smartphones. But if you've got a if you've got a dice roller on your phone and you're going for a hike and you want to be the Lord of the Rings in while you are hiking. Hiking while you're hiking. Or, I now want more than anything else to play an Aaron Sorkin West Wing style game while walking and talking. Oh my gosh, just just find a circular hallway. Yeah. And just walk through that hallway. Just have people hand you clipboards occasionally with new prompts. That is the best thing. And then as characters enter and exit, they step off to the sides, yeah. That is the best I need to do this. Where can we set this up? I don't know. We'll find a way. Maybe next time there's a con, we can grab a couple of circular hallways and some clipboards, throw people into them. The other argument that people make alongside the argument of tradition is that it's a distraction that you've not, it's not that people are being pulled away, looking down at their character sheet, uh, into the laptop or phone, but that people are looking into the phone, looking at Twitter, or they're looking at uh, a text message with their girlfriend or boyfriend, or they're on Reddit, or they're on Pinterest or something. And I can see that. That hasn't particularly been an issue in our groups, at least, but I know that it's a, it's a problem that some people have. Yeah, I I can see that more, but I also think that you kind of have to look at some of the importance of this stuff. If you have family that's looking to know where you are, if you have loved ones that are checking in and will worry if you don't respond, then I can completely understand that. If you're sending a text every minute and a half because the person will be really upset with you otherwise, that's not super great just in terms of having an independent life and being your own person. If you're sending a text message every minute and a half because you're checked out of the game... Yeah. Well, then maybe maybe you don't need to be at the table. Maybe you don't want to be at the table because clearly yeah. you want to be somewhere else. And yeah, that's kind of my thinking on it. Is is I don't feel like anyone needs to be kicked away from the table because they're not fully focused in the game. Mm-hmm. But my thinking is that there's a certain point. Like if you're actively playing a cell phone game while you're playing another game, then clearly you're not having fun. Yeah. And like it, that's okay. You can do other hobbies. And so either you're not kind of giving it your a real go and, and engaging with the game, or the group is doing something that isn't engaging you, and that's a conversation that you guys should have. Yeah, just like getting together as adults and being like, James, I noticed you were playing Farmville for literally every moment. Yeah. Brandon, couldn't this pen and paper game be a little bit more about farming? 
Well, this pen and paper game is about mice, and uh, mice don't farm. Sure they do. So, Where do they get their carrots? <laughs> so, absolutely not. Texting is a good example of a way to lead into the counter-argument that I see a lot, which is that technology can be an asset to a game table. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I've done is text other people at the table so that I can have secret communications with them the rest of the table doesn't see as a more advanced slipping people notes. The guy who ran our Serenity games we used to play in, he did a really great job of having everyone had their own Google Doc of secrets, and he would add to that during the game. And it, it helped because in a world that is that rich as the Serenity universe, being able to not have to stop and say, do I know this thing, was really yeah. nice, because you could just type, do I know, what do I know about this, what would my character know about this, and he would dump a block of text that he had pre-written into it about what your character would know. And that would just sort of be flawless, and he could keep GMing. Even just using the technology as it actually exists is a potentially useful thing. I was thinking of our game of Monster Hearts we played. I made constant references to Snapchatting people. Yeah. We were playing online, and I don't know anyone Snapchat, but I could have been Snapchatting people yeah. at the table if it was appropriate for the game. Yeah. There were times, I think, in that Serenity game where my character was emailing your character and I actually wrote you some gibberish emails. Yeah, you just sent me an email that I just received yeah. and I opened up and read it there. I think that can work really nicely as long as you're playing within the spirit of the game. Yeah. I think it would be one thing to send a message when it's a time that two characters could communicate secretly. But if you're in the middle of battling some orcs and you text the rogue and say, hey, let's backstab the paladin, when did that communication happen? The thing that I think of a lot is if two characters are speaking in a different language that no one else understands. Oh, then... like the Jawa. It was I was a Jawa and he spoke Jawa. And so I would just and type things out to him. And if you were if you were trying to have an a sort of a side conversation in a different language to confirm that no one else would understand you True. without technology, you have to what slip notes back and forth. That could be a little distracting. Whereas if you both kind of just lean back in your seats and are texting each other, then you could have that conversation. You confirm that no one else hears you. Maybe you include the GM in on it or something, um, so they can see what you said. But you're not drawing attention to yourself as no one's giggling because you're slipping notes. Um, and you can just kind of move on. And also, people can text faster, probably, than they can write back and forth. Right, because you, you don't start your text with, my dearest James. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how I start every letter. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I start any letter that I send. Uh, and then I've got to carry cologne with me to spray the, the note and all The that. wax. Yeah, the seal. Well, I, well, that's on my ring, so that's not so big of a deal. In any case, sometimes you can increase immersion, I think. Like, the Jawa example... Um, my Jawa voice is not perfect, but I think it is okay. So if I'm rocking yeah. the Jawa voice and then we've got the guy translating, that feels way more Star Wars. And if you can almost have that conversation in text message beforehand with the person and then roleplay it out sort of in fake Jawa, I think that then... What we did is I had a computer out and we had the screen facing him. And so then I would type the message while talking like a Jawa. It was pretty good. And so we got a lot of the the very classic Star Wars things that he'd make reference to what I was saying in kind of a way that makes it clear what I was doing. 
But that takes so much cooperation, and not everyone's going to yeah. be into it, and that's totally fair. you got to think about the other people in the group. Because the idea is to let the technology aid in speeding up the game and make it smoother, not the other way around. Exactly. Which is the other thing, and comes back to what I said initially, which is that I'm bad at remembering rules, and so having the rules there <laughs> quickly for me to look up speeds up things. And I remember when we were in high school, we would definitely have like 15-minute-long breaks where someone had mentioned or referenced some obscure rule that we suddenly had to go look up, and it was just flipping through books, and which page was that on, and which version of the monster manual. The classic, I grapple them while they're flying. What does that mean? Yeah, and no one remembers how to do that. That is definitely a problem of rules-heavier games, and less a problem in story-driven games, but it's still an issue. And even in those lighter games, being able to instantly flip to somebody else's playbook so that you know how to interact with them and you know you can guess how they'll react to you is important and it means i don't have to shuffle through things absolutely and we also have just as our group our little tradition that uh one of our members writes down silly quotes and things that we say so we can later go back and kind of leaf through it and think that it's funny and so i think there's some value to having things to just accepting the things that your group does there's there's no right way to play the game and so that's, that is a way that technology can be at the table, but not be distracting. And so the, for me, the key, the key guiding light for technology is always going to be, in what ways can I use this to bring people to the table who couldn't previously come to the table because of some barrier? And how can we make the rules and the dice rolling, which are fun and are definitely a part of it, how can we make them flawless and, and sped up so that we can focus on what the character is doing, not how they're doing it mechanically? Making mechanics sort of bleed to the background is a thing that you, I think you see in the sort of modern era of indie games built into the systems. Like, D&D is very, you roll this dice for that thing, and you add this modifier, and then but then you roll a second set of dice to do damage, and that's two different dice, and there's two of them, and you add them together, and then there's a modifier. There's, there's all these mechanics, but something like Apocalypse World is everything is 2d6. And I don't think that's coming out of a desire or love of the D6, <laughs> or that there's some superior numerical reason to do that. It's a way to just... When everything is a D6, anytime you're doing anything, you just roll two D6. Yeah. And so that mechanic just is its super speedy, it's super snappy, and it it gets you that randomness, but pushed to the background. And, and I think... I think most... I mean, maybe this is me making an assumption, but I think that if you could do Apocalypse World with a full suite of rules like Dungeons and Dragons, I think it would do that, but it just cares more about characters and character interactions. And so it gives up things. It gives up rules and mechanics to facilitate that love of character. And so if you could bring tech to the table to help bring back those rules and make things random and, and, and add those mechanics, but make them easy and flowing so they didn't interrupt the character interactions, my guess would be that people would enjoy that. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that uh, that technology, when it is doing what it should be doing, is facilitating the play. Uh, it shouldn't be something that interrupts the play. 
And so if it's something that you have to click a button instead of rolling on three tables, then turning to a second table and rolling on that table. And But if I can hit a button at the table when I'm surprised and I need something, instead of rolling nine times on nine mm-hmm. different tables on different pages, then that facilitates the game. Yeah. When we played 7C, I had a character sheet on my phone that was an app that was someone built for 7C. So you could say, here's what my main attack is, and here's what my modifier is. And then when I'm doing that attack, here's what the damage will look like. And then it would take into account exploding dice and do all the math for you. When I took an action, I just hit the one button, and it rolled all those dice and added everything together. And then I'd be able to say, here's what my roll is. If I Do I hit? If I do, here's the damage I did. I think about halfway through that game... I put away my dice and downloaded that same dice roller because my turns were going way longer as I was figuring out each of the individual dice. So let's look to the future a little bit. Okay. Looking into the future, what kinds of technology would you like to see brought to a gaming table that you haven't seen already? Well, honestly, part of what I would like to see would be for when I'm doing some of those crunchier systems. There's some gorgeous programs like Roll20 that make these just beautiful dungeons that if I were playing with a group of people in person, I wouldn't even really know how to show to them. But I see these people that have made these tables that are made out of a TV, and it just fills me with um, enormous nerd envy. Oh my gosh, I love those. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. I saw a um, a program like Roll20 that had a virtual table, mm. and it had a full, basically a full video game engine behind it. And so... You ha- it still looked like a it looked like a grid, but the the person could easily build up a dungeon, and the all the different parts of the dungeon were fully rendered. The characters still looked like wobbly tabletop miniatures. Yeah, but it it was like live rendering torchlight in the dungeon, oh, and that stuff is so and cool. It, so, <laughs> and so the characters cast shadows, and when they opened doors, the the torchlight from the new room would bleed out. Or if they if they were dark rooms, the light from their torches would bleed in, and it was all doing that like live as they were moving the characters around, and that was really cool. That is really cool. I would really want, I mean, I would really want the miniatures to be physically in the room. Yeah, the initial Microsoft Surface project before it just became the tablet was designing touchscreens for tables. Yes, I remember that. And so there's these really cool videos from Carnegie Mellon had a team that was working on them. So they're touchscreens where you have the little miniatures that sit on the table. Yeah. And it's either a projector that can tell where the characters are or it's actually a a big touchscreen. And so you have your map of where your characters are and you'll move them around, but you can like tap on the character and it'll open up a circle menu underneath them where you can select their different spells or abilities. And then if you you cast like Magic Missile, it opens up a, a fan graphic that you can drag around your character in a full 360 to point at the enemies and you tap and then it actually will do like a little (laughs) fire animation or a missile animation and then the the example is that they have a dragon land in the middle of the battlefield and so he has a big dragon miniature and it sits down on the table and then he can have it breathe fire and be crazy and stuff and it was really cool and when i was looking into that for the show I was a little sad to find that it hadn't really gone yeah, that's, anywhere. Yeah, that's super cool. But I feel like at a certain point, it could become 
the entire game. If I have a little button that I can press that makes a fireball go across the room, then I think I'm probably less likely to be saying, and so then I raise my hands and they form into a ball of light. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I guess what I'd be looking for is even a little bit more minimalist than that. Just like pretty rooms that I can put my dudes on top of. Yeah. And they do that too. I mean, that's, that's, that's another thing that that can do. Um, and so I, I, I like that. And I'll put those videos that I found in the show notes so you guys can watch them and maybe someone out there can find those projects and update them or something. Yeah, just, um, you know, make a table that does everything. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you make a robot also while G- um, that GMs games? And also a robot that plays the class that no one wants to play. Well, okay. So... Then I'll ask. I mean, that's a joke, and that's hilarious. But would you play? Would you play a game where a, a robot was GMing? Yeah, because I pretty much never turn down games. <laughs> like I'm super <laughs> okay. easy to convince into games. If there was a robot that what I was saying could make a difference, then yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I guess. So, like, I had written down when I was taking some notes beforehand. I was thinking about. Uh, using something like the uh, Amazon Echo or uh, Google just announced that they're making this Google Home thing, which is a little canister that sits on y- in your house somewhere and it's hooked up to the internet. Uh, my parents have one and they use it as a timer and you can ask it recipes and stuff. Um, and I was thinking, that'd be really cool if it knew all the rules. You could say, hey, Alexa or okay, Google, how do you grapple someone that's flying on a griffin? <laughs> Uh, and then if it could just know, then it could be the person. Yeah, who I'd, be, for I'd be fine with that. Again, as long as it's faster. I hadn't even thought about what if <laughs> it could GM and actually listen to you. You walk into a fifteen by fifteen room. There is an orc. Yeah, I mean it's they're pretty good. They sound <laughs> like people. You'd be surprised. I saw a note here. Hang with me on this one. Dread. Okay, so... I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to believe you. Okay, as I was looking into things for this, I went off on a little bit of a tangent where I started thinking about Dread. And <laughs> Dread is a is a horror game where you don't have dice, you play with a Jenga tower. Jenga tower, that new technology that we have. So my argument in this case is that the Jenga tower is a piece of technology that serves a larger purpose than just a game mechanic. Here's how I came at it. When you're rolling dice, no one is thinking about, oh man, I wonder if, as I'm writing this game, I should have characters who are using great swords roll seven dice, but someone who's, who is uh, attacking with a knife uh, only roll one dice, because the great sword is heavier, and so the great sword user should pick up more dice. The dice are just there as a mechanic. They're not there to... To emphasize or they're not there to emulate anything more than just the mechanics but the jenga tower is there to create tension in the room as as the the game progresses and you're pulling the jenga pieces out and stacking them it's because the game is getting tenser and tenser as that you're building up to that horror moment where one of the characters is probably going to die and having this piece of technology that's doing that for you, I mean, that's that's more than just a game mechanic. That's actually, it's filling that void that I was talking about of the difference between 
mechanics and this mind movie or the story that you're working on. And it's because you could tell a horror story with dice and you'd get the same mechanical issue. You could just have some everyone who wants to do anything roll a d20 and if you roll a one you die. That would functionally be the same, but they've chosen not to do that. It has a build-up mechanic. You'd want it to be, you roll yeah, a d20, okay. and when you sure. hit a certain number, which is like 230, then you die. Yeah, but that's not going to have the same influence over the room, because as you're playing Dread, as you're pulling these Jenga pieces out, it, things are getting tenser and tenser, and it, it's obviously it's well, not... Yeah, I know. So I'm being a little hyperbolic when I, when I say that a Jenga tower is technology, but I found this quote the other day from a girl I went to high school with, Lauren Ellen McCann, who said, technology is anything from knitting needles to spaceships. And so a Jenga tower isn't a computer, but it's somewhere between a knitting needle and a spaceship. And it is serving a purpose larger than just creating a mechanic to base randomness off of. It's doing things to the players to help them feel the right emotion. I don't disagree with that. In theory, I'm, I think that we should talk at some point about other resolution mechanics, because I think there's a lot to be said about it. Sure. I think, And I think that Dread is a good resolution mechanic. I think it doesn't fit in quite as well with the technology discussion, because it isn't exterior to the game. It is, essentially, the game. Yeah. You wouldn't say, should people be allowed to bring paper money to a game of Monopoly? That is part of the game. Then the board is part of the game, and the Jenga Tower is part of Dread. And it's a very good part of Dread. I, that is my favorite thing about Dread, because people walk in and they see that Jenga tower, and you just see them go, oh, that's going to fall down at some point. I, and I guess I would just make the argument that that's, 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 the, that's my perfect use of technology, of where the technology is there, but it's so in the background that it is just part of the game. See, I think, I think for me, the perfect use of technology is something that makes a game feel closer to the truth that you're showing within your narrative. But isn't that what the Jenga Tower is doing? As you're getting more and more nervous because the Jenga Tower is getting weaker and weaker, that's bringing you closer to the truth of your characters. Yes. What I want to bring up, I, I just want to bring up another example. Have I told you about ViewScream, or do you know ViewScream? I haven't heard of it, no. Okay, so ViewScream... It's one word, scream as in shouting. It's by Neoplastic Press. It is a, I believe, a free PDF on drive-thru. And what it is, is it's a sci-fi game, which is about being four people that are communicating to each other through view screens. It's played online, and so all that you get is your little camera view of the person. That's really super cool, because... Your character hanging out down in engineering on the video screen with the guy in medical, that's what you're seeing. And so to me, that's when technology really works. Because what we have at the table, in terms of being our character, is our voice. I cannot decide, you know, I'm playing a half-orc today, I'm gonna grow a foot and a half, be <laughs> a little bit greenish, and have my teeth stick out. I could make a face, I've got a half-orc face that I do, but it's not making me into a half-orc. Yeah. With my voice, I can try to do that. I can try to emulate what my character's voice is, but apart from that, it's everything else you're just describing. I can't bring myself more into the game by being able to lift and swing a broadsword. That doesn't change it. And so what I like technology to do is try to cover a couple of those gaps. And that's... Sorry. 
That actually reminds me, we have both played Artemis, which is which is a computer game that emulates a starship. And and I think it's also a Well, yeah, well that's where that's where I'm getting at. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Artemis is a computer game that where you sit around and everyone has their own computer and it, it displays the view screen of if you're the weapons person, you get a big list of weapons, a list of targets that the captain has sent you, and you can fire torpedoes. It is delightfully old Star Trek. It is. It's great old Star Trek. And I've definitely heard of people at conventions where they'll play and they'll have a crew and they all dress up as Star Trek uniforms. <laughs> um, and they have a room that's dedicated to the the bridge where everyone's set up and there's a big like main screen which shows the big map that the the captain can see and then everyone has their own little table and and view screen. And then when you get to that moment where, like in Star Trek, you've reached the foreign planet and you've communicated with the people on the ground, which is then like just role played by the, the GM. Um, th- either through being physically there and talking to you, or there's a there's a communications panel where you can text with other ships and stuff like that to request docking and stuff. And then if the captain is going to go on an away mission, those people all stand up and leave the room into a different room, and they sit down, and then they start playing a pen and paper game of those characters uh-huh. on the surface. And meanwhile, there's another GM, like, or there's, because at this point, it's more like a LARP than anything else. Yeah. Um, and you've got some GMs who are communicating with each other, who are running the now the B team and whoever was left on the ship, and they're on the ship still flying around, or sitting in orbit, but maybe someone comes and attacks them. And now they don't have the communications officer, or they don't have the weapons officer, or they don't have, like, the first-rate pilot, because they're on the planet. Yeah, I love that so much. It's got some multiplayer built into it, and so you can have multiple ships and multiple crews all flying around this universe, beaming onto each other's ships, sitting at the same table to then do some hand-to-hand combat, rolling dice and stuff like that, and then always ending back up in the room that's your ship. I think that about wraps up our conversation about technology in at the table. Uh, we wanted to thank everyone who listened to our first episode and who helped spread the word by retweeting us. Yeah, we've had a, a bunch of people being just really wonderful and very welcoming to the RPG community. We're so, so lucky to be a part of it. Uh, we especially want to to reach out and thank uh, Maggot Modifier, Jeff at Party of One, Taylor at Riverhouse Games, Clint at New Type Night, and Tess at RPG Casts for retweeting our posts and just talking with us. And you guys have been so wonderful. We are so lucky to be a part of this community. I tweeted out a couple polls, seeing what people thought about technology beforehand, um, and hopefully we'll keep getting people talking with us about this. Um, if you have anything about what would be your perfect use of technology. And if you want to make a robot that GMs games. Yeah, definitely send that to Brandon. Do that. Send that to me. You can send us emails at either James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com. Uh, we've got a website at uh, stophackandroll.com. No, and you can tweet us and talk to us. We're both on all the time. I'm at end the meltdowns. And I am Dr. Captain Kobold. All right, so we'll catch you in a couple of weeks, and don't forget to stop, hack, and roll.